We are finishing up a series called Together. Will you say it with me? Together. That's right. It's been a four-part series. It was so, it's been so amazing. We started this series with the premise that uh, we've got to fight to stay together. We're trying to figure out how to keep our families together, or our lives together. And we started with, uh, there's a language of together. There's a, there's a language that we don't realize we're speaking that separates and divides. And so we started kind of acknowledging what does that language look like in Scripture? How do, we, how do we learn that language? And gave some real good teaching on that. Go back and you can check out the website on that if you want to hear that. And then the next week was Mother's Day. And my mom brought a great word. And she was teaching us on how to keep our families together. And then last week I kind of shook you a little bit. Because, you know, people were like, I thought, you where's the past? He ain't preaching. We brought a little panel of people up here. And we talked about how to keep our marriages together. We talked about intimacy, which kind of scared some of you. It was awesome. That was great, powerful. And then today, as we kind of started finishing up this series, we're going to be talking about literally how to keep our spiritual family together. There was a man who had been uh, marooned on an island, shipwrecked on an island all by himself, and had been there for 20 years. And over 20 years, he'd kind of given up hope that he would ever be rescued, when finally some ship came by, saw his little smokestack, pulled in, and as the people came ashore, and they, and they, and they went to get him and take him back to civilization, he just had a hard time leaving, and he says, guys, I just, you got to understand, you see this house? I've built this with my own hands. I've lived here by myself in this house. I've built this with my own hands. And he said, see that building over there? That's my church. I built that. I wanted to be able to worship every Sunday. I built that with my own hands. And the guy asked, he said, well, what's that third building over there? He goes, that's my first church. I left them. I didn't like those guys anymore anyway. Come on, somebody. We're going to talk today about keeping the church or the spiritual family together. Everybody say it with me one more time. Together. And so I want to give you a couple uh, stats from the Barna group and a couple other groups. Just a little bit about Christianity and the church world, if you will. 75% of Americans claim to have prayed to God in the last week. 75% of Americans said, yeah, I, I pray to God. And 73% of Americans are what, what we call, would self-identify with Christianity. In other words, I am a Christian. I, I, I say about myself that I am a Christian. 73%. Now, the statistics are kind of alarming because of that 73%, only a hand uh, on a, a much smaller percentage on what you and I would deem as actual Christians. In other words, that they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him, that the Bible is accurate, it, and, and, the, and Jesus, God, and Satan are who the Bible says they are. Only about 4% of, of Americans actually believe that. And so that means that there's a large percentage who are going to be on that day. He says, depart from me, I never really knew you. And then continuing on with some of these stats, 35% of Christians said they attended church gatherings regularly, uh, within, once a month or so, 35%. So of the 73% who say they're Christians, only about 35% regularly go to church. In fact, that other 50-whatever percent actually said that they love God, they just don't like the church. That's what the majority of them say. I, I, I love God, but I just don't like the church. And then continuing on statistical analysis here, 17% of Christians attend Sunday school, and 16%, only 16% said they attended a small group. And look what LifeWay Research Group identified, that 32% of people leaving their church felt that no one noticed, that no one even cared that they left, no one noticed. That same group of people, that same group of people said, no one even noticed that I left my church and didn't go back there anymore and went to another church. That same group of people could not point to any significant relationships established within that congregation. I want to point out something to us today that we're going to have to fight to keep our spiritual family together. That it is the tactic of the enemy 
to destroy us. It's the tactic of, if, if you do any kind of military, you know, tactic, tac, uh, you know, analysis of tactics on how to win wars, one of the key components is to separate the strong out. The key components is divide so that you can conquer. It's one of the chief principles that the enemy uses. He's been doing it for thousands of years to separate us out from the body of believers, separate us out first and foremost from our love with the Father and through Jesus Christ, but also separate us out from the family of God. In fact, Jesus constantly talks about all throughout his teachings about us being the church or the family, and he uses words like family, sons and daughters, and, and he uses terms that, that would recognize that we would be one team, one, one part. In fact, Jesus was so concerned about us remaining family, remaining spiritual family, that as he's kind of closing out his time on earth, he begins to pray this very thing. Before we go into that, I want to give you our key scripture for today's teaching. Go ahead and t- turn in your Bibles or open it up for me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 20. Here's our key scripture. It says, again, I tell you that if two of you uh, on earth agrees about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Look what he says. If two of you, if even two of you will come together in agreement about anything you ask, it will be done for you on this earth according to my, in ref, my father will do it. If you'll do anything in an orderly way, if you'll come together on earth and agree about it, it'll be done for you by my father. Now, the implication here is that it's in right reference or in the right will of God the father. In other words, if two of you get mad and, you, and you want, uh, you're asking God for $16 billion and you want the president to die tomorrow, that's not in accordance to God's will, so you're not going to get that. I just want to point that out. But he's saying if you'll come together in unity, if two of you will come, and then it continues on in verse 20, for where two or three come, say it with me, together in my name, there I am with them. If two or three come together, I'll be in my name, I'll be right there with them. Anyway, sorry, I messed that all up. I thought that was really, really neat how, how Jesus lays that out for us, is that there is power when you and I come together as spiritual family. If we'll come together and agree about anything, we'll come together in unity, and we'll ask for it, the Father will do it. If we come together in unity and ask the Father for it, he'll do it. And not only that, but when we come together, Jesus is right there in the midst of it. Back to my earlier point. Jesus was so concerned about us staying together that in the last seconds of the fourth quarter, as he's about to, he's about to be killed and resurrect and then ascend into heaven, he's in the fourth quarter moment, the last moments. They've had the last supper They've eaten together. Judas has already decided to betray. He takes off out the house. It's a little unclear in this passage we're about to read in John chapter 17, whether it was at the table that Jesus prayed this next prayer that we're about to look at, or was it right standing out in front of the garden? But with that being said, look at John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. And Jesus said it like this. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know who they're talking about? Talking about us. See, because what happened was the disciples gave themselves to Jesus. They became Christians. And then as a result, they taught, they spoke the word to the next group of people. They said, oh, this is truth. They accepted Jesus. And then that person became a disciple. And then they told someone else who didn't know about Jesus. And they said, oh, this is truth. I want Jesus in my life. They became a disciple. And over 2,000 years later, here we all are because someone told some. Jesus is saying, I'm not just praying for the 11 apostles, disciples I have right here, Father. But I pray for every person they'll touch over the next thousands of years. And this is what he prays. He prays that all of them may be one. Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is saying this. If, if they can be in unity, what it will do is it will cause the whole world to realize I am the Messiah. That I was sent by the Father. If they can stay in unity, and he's praying this. If you look at chapter 17, he, this is the central theme of his last kind of big prayer. Now, we know he, on the cross he said he prays, Father, forgive them. But I'm talking about he had this intercession moment that's actually recorded. And, and in this intercession moment, he says, look, I've done what you told me to do. I brought, the, I brought them, all of them except for the son of perdition. I, I've done everything you asked me to do. And, Father, here's my prayer, that you would keep them Together, Keep reading in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought, look at this, to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He is praying this prayer. Can, why, I was thinking about, why didn't he pray? Oh, oh, Father, I just pray that you would increase their ministries. Oh, Father, I pray that they'd start orphanages and they would start outreach centers. Oh, Father, I pray that you would prosper them and give them billions and billions of dollars. Jesus prays none of these things. What he prays is, is that they would stay together because he understood a great truth. And that is when the body of Christ stays together on a united front, that there's nothing they can't do. That he understood that the enemy's plan is to separate out individuals and destroy them from the body of believers. Because when we come together in spiritual family, we come together and we fight for one another and we stand beside one another, it causes the enemy to be in, in, in a pushback mode. Why? Because now we're a united front, pushing the gates of hell back, pushing the kingdom of God forward. And one, if any two will come together in unity and they'll pray and ask my father for anything, it'll be done. Because where two or three are gathered, there I am right in the middle of it. Oh, Father, oh, Father, let them be one like you and I are one. Because when they are one and they have matured to this place of unity, this place of togetherness, the world will recognize, wait a minute, that's different than anything I've ever seen. That must mean that the one they're serving, Jesus Christ, is the real Messiah. He's the real King of kings and the real Lord of lords. That is what value is placed on us being in unity, that Jesus would kind of bring that to the big piece and bring it all together in one of his last big prayers. It is my heart and my desire for you that you know what it is to be spiritual family, that you would have togetherness in spiritual family in the body of believers. I, you know, one of the things I love to do is I'll watch docudramas and I'll watch, you know, I'll watch, you know, these, these, these guys. One of the things that I, over the years I've done is watch a couple of these docudramas where they actually climb Mount Everest. Has anybody in this room climbed Mount Everest? Thank you. Me either. Why would we do, anyway, but the point being is that these people do it. And if you'll notice how they do it, uh, typically they don't do it individually. In fact, those who go out and do it by themselves, they usually find their bodies like 16 years later in a frozen cube. But most of the time what they do, and they do this uh, very strategically, they plan for it, and then they actually come together, and as a team, they go up the side of these mountains, these frozen mountains, these uh, rock climbing pieces like this. Typically when they're going to climb something that big, they, they go together because they've got to they've sleep on the side of this mountain. It's a multiple day journey process. It's a lot of effort and energy and they usually do it together. And one of the things, if you'll bring me my little piece here, one of the things that they do now, you guys need to be real careful because this, don't do any of this at home. I am a professional and this is professional gear. <laughs> 
any rock climbers in the room are like, what, the, what is that junk? So I want to kind of illustrate what they end up doing. So what, what they do is, they, they first they'll take, a, they'll take a rope or some type of, you know, belay system, and they'll, they'll, they'll strap in one to another. Uh, Josiah, come help me, bro. Come be, come be on my team with this. And so they'll, they'll kind of, they'll, they'll belay with one another, and they'll get somebody else. Sean, you want to come help us, bro? And they'll, and they'll clip in. And as they're climbing up this mountain, as they're going up this side of this mountain, one of the things that they recognize is that there's going to be slippage. You're going to trip. You, you, you're, you're, you, if you start sliding down the side of that ice just because you had one stumble, you're a dead man or a dead woman. And so what they do is they clip into one another. They, they give enough space to where they're not right on top of each other to where if I fall, I'll pull him directly down either, and he doesn't have a moment to be able to catch himself. But what they do is they clip in so that if they get to a place... Watch yourself. If they get to a place where they go to fall, there's somebody else's weight and somebody else's ability to keep them from falling to their death. And so as a result of being clipped in, they have the power of the team. They have the power, if you will, of the spiritual family. At the same time, if one goes to fall in the middle of the whole thing, he doesn't just have just himself, but he also has the whole group of them to where he can get, look how far down he can go. We got you, baby. Go ahead down. Go ahead and look at that. Bam. <laughs> you turned. We didn't turn. We had you. All the weight was, on, was not on us. And so what I love about this illustration, and this is what it looks like to be a part of the family of God, to be a part of the spiritual family. Here's the problem with a lot of people, though, is they're not clipped into the right people. They're clipped into folks that aren't going up the side of the right mountain. The Bible says narrow is the path that leads to salvation. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And I find so many of my friends who really want to love Jesus, but what they've done is they've clipped into the wrong group of people. And so they, they can't, every Friday night, they're getting invitations to go out clubbing, and they're trying to serve God, and they're trying to raise their kids right, but they can't seem to get all that together. And the reason why is because they've clipped into the wrong people. Here, friend, can I explain something to you? If you'll clip into the family of God, what that'll do is strengthen you. Come on, Josiah, let it slide a little bit more through your waist. That, that'll strengthen you so that if you trip or if you fall, there's someone else. The Bible says it like this. How sad for a man who falls and has no one there to pick him up. I don't care how mature you are. I don't care how long, I don't care if you pastor for 8,000 years. You're not able to be alone. God made you to be clipped into the family of God. That's why he said, God, Father, that they may be one. That they would all come together. He didn't pray, Lord, I just pray you bless Peter's ministry. Because I know he's the better leader out of all of them. God, I just pray that you would just profit and just take John to levels. I know the other guys aren't as good. In fact, just the opposite. God, I pray, Father, I pray that they would stay clipped in together. I'm paraphrasing, of course, so that they could be one. Because as one unit, we can climb this mountain together. But if you keep trying to make this thing, take this thing along, and you're trying to drag your family up this side of this mountain. See, this thing is not made for them to carry me. It's made for us to carry our own weight. It's just there so as a support in case we stumble or trip or fall. The other day, my nine-year-old said, Dad, would you, we were at the mall, would you carry me? I'm like, I ain't carrying you. you nine years old. Stand up on your own team. But you used to carry me. Yeah, that's when you were 25 pounds. I cannot sustain your weight now and, get my, and keep my weight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got bigger kids? It's like, have you lost your mind? I can't carry you and me and through this mall with all these people trying to steal my stuff. I got to watch out. But what we can do is be belayed and care for one another, but not carry one another. And this is where the problem comes in, is there's so many people go to church, they want to be carried. I want you to carry me up that mountain, Pastor. You look strong. You're the strong. I pay you to be stronger than us and carry me up the mountain. You don't pay me. 
I ain't carrying you. I'm barely making it up myself sometimes. I cannot carry you too. But what we can learn to do is we can learn to come together as a family. Give these guys a hand. You did so good. Thank you, guys. You can take that with you, man. God bless you. They did so good with that. So let me give you a couple keys, if you will, to keeping our spiritual family together. Listen, it's, it's real obvious that the enemy is ripping people out of churches, that people are getting sideways with one another, that churches are falling apart. Do you know that we lose 1,500 pastors a month quit the ministry? Do you know it's so common for people in a 20-year period that, quote, love Jesus, to, to, to go to more than 10 churches in that 20 years? It's very common to jump and try to find. What God has to help us learn to do is come together. And I want to teach you some of that keeping spiritual family together. First, number one, here's the first thing you got to do is you and I got to clip in. You got to clip in. You, you, can I just explain something to you? You think that you're doing good by yourself. That's easily, when, you're, when, when you are on a flat level plane, what happens when you find yourself hanging over a, hanging over a, a chasm and you're about to fall in? See, it, no, one, no one even know that you clipped in. You know, one of the key statistics that we quoted is that people said that they left the church, 32% said I left the church, and no one even recognized that I was there or that I had left. You know why that is? It's because they never clipped in. They never started a relationship with anybody. And can I just say this to you? Let, let, let me just make this clear. Loneliness is the result of pride. There's so many people in this room who want to get to know you, want to it, it open up their hearts and open up their lives. You say, well, no one's reached out to me. Who have you reached out to? We've got, listen, friend, we've got to clip in. You can say, man, I kind of like you. I, I, you know, I see you, you know, every now and then we come and, and stood behind you in line and getting coffee and stuff. You know, uh, you know where do you guys live? You've got to clip in. If you don't, if you don't start... These kind of relationships that'll hold you. You're thinking, well, the pastor didn't remember, didn't even remember my name. Guys, I can't remember my three kids' names, much less a thousand of you. I mean, I'm doing my best just to hold on. Come on now. I can't carry everyone up the mountain. I'm not that guy. I'm not Jesus. Jesus himself didn't even try to carry everybody up. In fact, he only discipled 12 men. He ministered to everybody he came in contact with, but he took personal responsibility for 12 men. That's what he did. And of those, one of them was the devil. And he said, well, I'm just going to have to bear with that devil, but that's okay. I'll do it. Frank, can I explain something to you? You and I have to clip in. There are wonderful relationships in this body of believers. And if you look, if you look up and you find yourself lonely, if you look up and you find yourself disconnected, friend, that's back on you. You've got to clip in. God's given you the ability to have relationship. He's made you for a relationship. Well, me and my wife and kids, we're okay. Friend, you're not going to be okay. There will be a moment where you look up and you won't be okay. My nine-year-old is here today. By way of a miracle of the Lord. In fact, uh, when Jamie told me we were pregnant with Adlin, uh, we almost lost our mind because we were done. There's, there's seven years between her and Mariah. And so we were like, what? I was like, how did this happen? How does this happen? She said, if I have to explain that to you. And so, and so Jamie went, went full term with Adlin. It was magnificent. We went to the hospital to give birth and and Jamie's a rock star man and, and, and gave birth to that beautiful little girl and I'm holding her and we go upstairs to the recovery room for, for just a few hours and then all of a sudden something happens and uh, our doctors had made some mistakes. Jamie has internal bleeding un, unbeknownst to any of us. And, uh, and, and she, you know, the, the, I, I'm not in the medical field so I, I may not get this statistic, uh, this, this fact completely right but they tell me that we have somewhere between three and I guess five liters of blood in our body and I watched Jamie drop three liters right there. And as she did, her eyes rolled in the back of her head. The nurse went into full panic mode, hit the button. She's laying on the floor of the bathroom in, the, in that hospital and, uh, and the doctors come running 
and I'm standing over her. You will live and not die and claim the works of the Lord. I'm, I'm prophesying to her. You will live and not die. They can't get a pulse. They're slapping her. They're trying to get the little salt rock on it. They don't know where she, they, 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 she's coding. She's gone. And it was about a three to four minute process, which is a long time. Jamie told me later she was walking through fields of flowers heading towards the great light. And, uh, and I'm standing over him. The doctor's like, sir, you need to get out of the way. I'm like, you need to get out of the way. In the name of Jesus, you will live and not die. I'm just, I'm, prof- I'm holding her, and we're on the floor, and the doctors are trying to get her up, and they're trying to come, get her to come to. And all of a sudden, after about three or four minutes, she comes to. She, she doesn't come to like awake, but all of a sudden, we get a pulse. And, uh, and the reason why is because she had dropped so much blood. And, and they get her over in the bed, and, and, and they've got major conversations they're trying to have with me. Sir, we need to do, we need to do a, a blood transfusion right now. I said, what is that going to entail? They told me, well, the negatives is, you know, she could end up with blood allergies. And they started explaining that to me. I said, is she alive right now? They said, she's alive. I said, thank God, because if she dies, I'll be honest, I was all selfish about it. I don't even know where my kids go to school. I don't even know how to get them there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we in trouble, man. I was all selfish. I'll be honest. I was like, oh, my God. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> like, live. <laughs> Please live. And, uh, and I'm, I'm being silly, of course. But anyway, but, but uh, they said, uh, we, if we start blood transfusions right now, uh, then we can be a little bit more confident. I said, well, I said, I would, I would rather trust the Lord uh, and, and give, me, give, me, give me an hour to make that decision and come back and let's test her again. They came back and tested her. said, well, it's not as bad as we, we were thinking. I said, test her again in an hour. Okay, but we need to get blood in her. Oh, test her again in, in an hour. And we did that for about two days. And, um, and, and, and her body made the amount of blood to sustain her. But after about two days, I, oh, we just couldn't take it. We, had to, we needed to go home being in that hospital. And Jamie was a zombie. She couldn't, have a, she couldn't have a conversation with you. She was just, uh, it was amazing. Her body was able to, to, to nurse and to feed, and she was able to do that, but she couldn't hold a conversation. She had no train of thought. And, uh, and I said, ma'am, I need to get her, I told our doctor, I need to get her home so she can be in a comfortable place. And they fought me on it for three or four days, and finally she said, okay, I, on one condition, that she's not allowed to get out of bed for 40 days. She's not allowed to do anything for 40 days. Sir, if she gets up, if she try, she's going to crack her head open, you, you're going to lose her. She needs to be real still and not do anything. And I said, okay, I'll agree to that. And so my parents had come in town and Jamie's parents, and, but they had to get back to work after about a week or so. And those last 25, 30 days were crazy. I, we had just gotten a house. It was a foreclosure. We had just bought this big house. It had, it had bees in the walls. It had snakes in the living room. And the squatters had lived in it. And we bought it. And then Jamie went into labor. And we're like, oh, my God, we're trying to replace carpet. And all these things. Are, I'm traveling full time as a minister. And, uh, and I just had to shut the best I could down. I was in real jeopardy. But I want you to know something. I had a spiritual family. Some men and women in this room. They came. They came every day. They helped cook. They helped, they helped tear the carpet out. Uh, I, I, the last like 10 days, I had to go preach at this place. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I took off and I preached. And Jamie said, I'll be okay. And, uh, and King Carthage called me as I'm giving the altar call. And he says, hey, your wife is in full-on panic mode. The, there are bees flying in your master bedroom. And I say, what are you talking about? He goes, look, I got this. You just get home as quickly as you can. So I give the altar call in the name of Jesus, the Father, amen. And I walk off <clears throat> and hit the plane. And I got an earlier flight. And there had been bees were all in this wall. And Jamie's by herself with his kid and, and, and can't get out of bed. And all of a sudden, bees start dropping out of the ceiling. It was crazy. And our spiritual family, if it wasn't for our spiritual family, I've got good parents. I've got godly parents. I've got godly, uh, you know, uh, in-laws. But they just couldn't be there in that moment. Friend, you've got 
to have spiritual family. You've got to fight for it with all your heart. First and final, first piece, you've got to clip in. You've got to find them. You've got to interact with them. I appreciate all the people that you have friends with on social media, but they can't watch you. They can't watch how you raise your kids and say, hey, man, maybe you want to try this. They can't see if you're authentic in the way you interact with your Jesus and your family. Do you need people in your life that you can clip into that literally can walk the mountain with you, that we can walk, t- take it up the side of that mountain and make it to the end? Isn't that good? Say yes. Here's the second key to keeping spiritual family and that is you got to give some grace space man you got to give some grace space listen there's no perfect person in this church there's no perfect person in your small group there's no you got to give some space for grace guys i mean listen we got to stop being so hard on each other we got to stop you know listen i I don't uh, we had a uh, just uh, just i don't even i haven't even met this couple yet but just a sweet couple last week they went to pick up their kids in in our in our in our nursery and you understand all those people volunteer they don't get paid they don't get paid. Those are just men and women like you and I. They're back there. We've got over 200 kids in our kids' ministry. They're, you try to care for 200 kids. You volunteer for that. I see y'all sitting in here, right? <laughs> You're like, I, I had four of them. I ain't going back there with no more. And so, and so, and so this, this lady came to pick up her kid, and, and, uh, and, and as she walked away, her, her little one had, had their diaper was full. And don't know how long that they had, you know, they had pooped on themselves. But they, they got all the way to the car and realized, they didn't change my child's diaper. And that lady was so sweet, she gave us grace. She came back and she said, hey, listen, I just want to point out, I know nobody meant to do it, but my kid didn't get changed in your, in your kids' minute, in your, in your daycare, uh, you know, your nursery area. And, and our guys were so gracious. We were so sorry. No one went, well, you know what? I was by myself, and the, and the such and such volunteer didn't show up. No, each, uh, each of us giving grace to one another. That's how you keep it together. you got to give grace to one another. Well, you know what? I, I saw so-and-so in my small group, and, and he said something he wasn't supposed to say. It's supposed to be private. Hey, listen, go talk to him, but give some space for grace. We all need a little grace space. Notice, when they're belayed to one another going up that mountain, they're not tied directly uh, hip to hip. The reason why is because there's got to be some space so if I fall it doesn't necessarily knock you down and you can plan for it and you can shift your weight so that you don't, I don't take you down with you. Each and every one of us have persons in our life that have hurt us. People who, who cause us to say I don't ever want to go back to Jesus again. don't want to go back to church again. And that's because we were so close to them that when they fell it affected us. Friend you got to give a little bit of grace space so that that person can just be a person. Can just be a human. Listen I'm not Jesus. I'm Adam. Alright are you with me? And you're not Jesus. You're just you. And we're just doing our best. Those guys volunteering over there in all these different areas to make this service happen. They just do it because they love Jesus. They're not getting paid. They're not getting pat on the back. Uh, we, we had somebody, they don't even go to church here anymore, but they came in one Sunday mad as a hornet for whatever reason, and the little guys volunteering in the back made them a latte. They paid their little $5 for the latte, took a sip and, went, ah, and threw it in the garbage right in front of their face. And when they told me about it, I said, who is it? Those little people were back there serving, volunteering, got here at 6 o'clock this morning to make you burritos. Ain't nobody paying them nothing. They're doing it because they love Jesus and they're trying to love you. And then that person's going to be rude like that. And then it hit me. i got to give grace space for that one too. Who knows? Maybe her husband slammed her around the night before. Maybe she lost her job. Maybe her car didn't start. She barely made it to service. And when she took one sip of her $5 latte, it was so nasty. And she didn't know how any other way to react. But just go, rah, and walk off. See, that's what causes splits and quarrels and difficulties among us because we don't give grace to one another. Oh, but I was so proud of our little team. They went, oh, I'm so sorry you want us to make No, I don't want another one. Oh, well, God bless you. See, we've got to give grace to one another. 
or we won't stay together as a body. It's the plan of the enemy to get us criticizing and critiquing one another to where we just don't like each other anymore. But I'll tell you how I found how you can find grace for somebody. Start praying for them. You start praying for somebody, you'll fall in love with them. It's like, oh, it's okay. They, not, they didn't mean to do it. And you're like, why are you saying that? I've been praying for them every day, and God's helping me love them. I don't know. Here's the third thing that I would teach you to do if we're going to stay together as a spiritual family, and that is you need to bring something to the table. You've got to bring something to the table. Because, you know, we don't carry anybody up the side of the mountain. You've got to carry yourself with your own two feet. But we hold each other's arms up. We strengthen one another. But you've got to bring something to the table as well. And I love that passage out of 1 Corinthians 14 and 26. It says, what shall we say? What then, excuse me, shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. You know why we're weak? Because you didn't bring what you were supposed to bring to the table. Because you didn't bring, you're getting, so I don't know much, I'm barely saved, I'm still struggling with porn, I'm still struggling with alcohol, I'm still struggling with slapping people around. Friend, let me tell you something, you're that much further than you used to be, you got something to bring to the table. You got a testimony of how God's working in your life, you got, you got encouragement to give to somebody else, don't quit, I'm not quitting. You have no idea what people are in need of, and as long as you hold it and you don't hand it out, and you don't give out what little bit you got, you have nothing else to get in return. I learned years ago, as long as I hold on to what I got then God can't put anything else in my hand. But when I let that go to somebody else, then the Lord can fill my hands back up and I have more even for myself and for my family. Friend, give it away. You've got a word of encouragement. Give it to somebody. You're sitting out in the parking lot and you see some lady struggling to get that kid in, in, in that car seat. Baby, I'll be right back. I'm going to go help that lady right there. Ma'am, can I help you? Let me help you. I know I hate these things. Give, give a little something. Give a little something of your, bring something to the table. And when you do that, it'll bring us together. It'll keep us together. I can't tell you how many times over the years somebody's little act of love has secured me in the body of Christ when I was wanting to quit on the body of believers. I can't tell you how many times somebody in my small group would just reach out, just call me and say, hey, hey, uh, I just was thinking about you. Just wanted to reach out to you. I, I, I know we hadn't talked in a couple of weeks, hadn't seen you in small group, and or, is everything okay? Just, they were just driving down the street, decided to call me. And I can't tell you that little bit of gift. It's something supernatural. Here's the fourth and final piece that I would teach you about how to keep us together as the body of Christ. And that is we need to model spiritual family to our family. A couple weeks ago when my mom was talking and teaching us about, about you know, how to keep our families together, she mentioned how we as a family, how her and my dad, my, my pop, they would have all the neighbors over. They were always ministering. And, and I saw that modeled. I saw them loving, I saw them in a small group life where people were tied into each other, clipped into each other, and and helping and encouraging each other. And can I tell you what it did? As a teenager, I didn't go hang out with all the kids that were wicked anymore. I started realizing I need to be clipped in with some good godly kids. Listen, if you will be connected in spiritual family, your children will see it modeled and they'll go do it. They won't run with the wrong crowds. Let's be honest, most of us in this room, the mistakes that we made in the past, because who we were running with, who we were hanging out with. It's who we were spending time with that we should have never been friends with them. In fact, some of you were leading that band of wicked people. And, uh, and, you, and yeah, you were, tell the truth. And so what happened was you just enjoyed the fact that you got them in trouble and somehow snuck out of it. You never spent jail time, but you should have. I know you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being, I'm being silly. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm, being, I'm being silly. But as a result of that, what happens is we get connected going the wrong direction. And when we don't model that for our children, the right direction, being tied in, having people in our life that encourage us and we encourage them, then our children don't know how to do it. And so we don't propagate it. But when you and I model spiritual family, one of the things that we've always done as a family is we have what we call family church periodically. 
We used to do it a lot more than we do now, and I need, we really need to get back to it. But one of the things that we were so quick to do is we would, on a, on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning when we had services on Sunday evenings, uh, we would come together as a family, get them, everybody in the living room. And, and, you know, there's three children and me and Jamie, and so there's five of us. And we get in the living room with our pajamas on, and, uh, and, and they would pull up some, some worship songs on Spotify or something, and we would worship together and lift our hands and dance around, you know, singing veggie tales and stuff, and just awesome. And we would worship as a family, and then, and then you know, we, you know, Cohen, you're in charge of, of reading a scripture, and so Cohen would read a scripture, and then what do y'all think that means? And Adeline would be over there making Play-Doh figures of Noah and the Ark and stuff, and, and, uh, and, and you know, Mariah's texting her friends, like, get back in here, listen to this right now. And then we would close out with laying hands on one another, and they would pray over me. Lord, I just pray for my dad. He'd be a great man of God. Then we laid hands on mom, and we'd pray over her that she'd be an amazing woman of God. And we'd encourage one another and lay hands on each of the kids. And, and, and it was awkward at times. It wasn't. I'd love to tell you it was magical. It was awesome. But you try to get teenagers out of bed to come have family church. Why are we doing this? Oh, God. It stinks. But you know what we did? We modeled spiritual family. And as a result of it, they ask all the time, when are we going to do that? How come we don't do that as much anymore? Because you complain the whole time, sucker. No. <laughs> no, they didn't. They were so great. I'm being silly. They know that's not true. But you know what? It wasn't necessarily magical and wonderful. Dads, I know you're a little like, how do I lead my family? How am I, I going to be the spiritual, the spiritual leader of my family? Friend, just little things like that, a little something simple like that. And, and don't let anybody tell you it's, all, it's always wonderful and majestic, majestic and, one, and the Lord comes down. He does. He does sometimes right in the midst of whooping one of them kids for not paying attention to what we're trying to teach them. Jesus' name, no. But it really is, uh, if we don't model it to our children, guess what? They'll run with the wrong crowds. You'll you'll be getting those phone calls and saying, hey, you need to come get your kid. All because we didn't model it. Jesus is so serious about it that one of his last big prayers was, Father, keep them united. Keep them together. Lord, I'm not worried about all these other things, but I do know this, that there's a real enemy that's trying to divide them. There's a real enemy that don't want them to be the church. Guys, we read the statistics. Only 16% of Christians say they have any real connection, small group life, any kind of real friendship. You may go and sit in services. Friend, I don't want you to leave here one day and no one even knew or cared. You say, well, that's that's what I'm expecting you to do, Pastor. Are you kidding me? I can't even remember my three kids' names all the time. How am I going to remember all you? It's not possible. It's not how God intended it. He intended us to link into one another. You never see a thousand people linked in going up the side of that mountain. Why? It's too much. What they do is, and you don't, and you don't see warfare one like that. They're, they're in platoons. They're in small groups that all move together as one big group. But you've got to tie in to some type of relational and spiritual family. And friend, when you and I do that, as we do that, we'll keep it together. And we will grow and mature, and we'll look up one day and say, I can't believe this. Look at all the people whose lives have been changed. Would you stand with me all across the room? My prayer for this message and this teaching for you today is that you and I would fight for spiritual family. The enemy hates us. He wants you to be alone. And like I said earlier, alone is the result of pride. Because we don't humble ourselves and say, I need someone in my life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a moment. We've talked tonight, excuse me, this morning about, about spiritual family, keeping it together. How do we keep spiritual family together? How do we remain united when the enemy's so quick to try to divide us? Maybe you've lost grace for people. 
Maybe you've lost grace for people in this church. Maybe you came here saying, this is my last time. If they're not nice to me today, I'm out of here. Friend, I'm asking you to extend some grace. Maybe you've, maybe you've, uh, you've never ever, ever really clicked in. Maybe, maybe you've, you, you enjoy the gatherings of the large group, but you never really clicked into relationship. My prayer has been every day, I promise you for the last two years, every day I pray, oh God, may every person that attends or visits Church on the Hill find their spiritual family right here. Find the friends that they can connect with. We call it small group, but you can't orchestrate relationships. We can't make you go to this group and like this person. My prayer is just, just to find somebody that you go have dinner with that knows your name, that calls you and says, hey, where you at this week? Well, we were on our way to church. My wife said something stupid. Oh, don't be dumb. You missed the best preaching Pastor Adams ever preached. My goal was that you and I would have spiritual family. There'll be moments. Moments. You may not think you need it now, but there'll be moments you go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I'm sliding down the side of this cliff and nobody even knows. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just take a moment and ask the Lord to help you have spiritual family here. Ask the Lord to help you click in. Show you. Ask the Lord to give you grace for others. Ask the Lord to strengthen you. To open up your heart to be in relationship with others so you're not by yourself. Ask the Lord to give you that spiritual family. As you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, I'm believing firmly that the Lord's going to transform each and every one of us. In the midst of that, we'll start modeling spiritual family. We'll start showing others and our own children what it looks like to be connected with people, to love people and enjoy them. Maybe you say, you know what, i got to be honest, Pastor Adam, I haven't brought anything to the table. I keep coming to receive, but I don't ever really give anything. Friend, I'll tell you, that's one of the quickest ways to destroy spiritual unity. It's, the first, it's one of the quickest ways to break the family down is when all you do is take and not give. There are men in this room that need you just to put your arm around them, bro, and say, hey, man, I love you. God bless you. I saw you worshiping today. Thanks for coming to church. There are folks in this congregation that just need somebody to text them every now and then say, hey, I'm praying for you. It's that simple. Is that, is, is that easy? You say, well, I need somebody praying for me. I know. you got to strap in. We'll pray for one another. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Come on, would you pray with me? Lord, I pray right now that every man and woman in this room, Lord God, that we would fight for spiritual family. Lord God, that we would say that this church would be a church full of men and women, Lord God, who actually actually tie into one another, who actually got each other's back and watch out for one another. Lord God, who actually knows that uh, that, that person's got a cold and as a result couldn't come to services. Lord, that actually cares about the fact that their, their kid actually walked, walked, walked across and got their diploma. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for divine connection. Not only what you can do, not what we could administrate, not what we as the leaders here of the church could orchestrate, but only what you could do. Connections in the parking lot. Connections out at Walmart. Oh my God, I go there too. Oh, let's let's get together. Father, I just pray for divine connections that only you could bring. And Lord, I ask you to do it, Lord God, in a deep way. And I pray just like your son prayed. And I pray just like Jesus cried out that we would be one. And that no one, no enemy would divide us in Jesus' name. And that we would give grace to one another. And allow, allow our, our own weaknesses to, to be covered over by love. And Father, I thank you right now, Lord God, that this church, this group of believers, this group of men and women who love you, oh God, will see it to the finish and none would be lost. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment and your eye closed? I want to give an opportunity for someone in this room maybe that has not been serving God. You've not been a Christian. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. 
Maybe you just didn't know a whole lot about who he was. Friend, I got good news for you. He loves you. You say, yeah, I heard that one time on, a, on, a, on, a, on the TV. No, no, I don't think you understand. He died because there was this big chasm, this wide space between us and God the Father. And that chasm was the result of our sin. And, and, and Jesus, what he did with that cross is like a bridge between us and God. When Jesus died on that cross, it gave us a way back to him, kind of like a road, a pathway. And so the, the, the Bible says it like this, if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, I'm telling you today, there's no reason for you to leave this place separated from God. There's no reason for you to leave this place today broken and hurting in your heart and wondering if the Creator loves you. He loves you, and He wants a relationship with you. Maybe you would say, well, Pastor, what do I do? Well, listen, it's already been done. He paid it forward. He filled the account. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit, He's already bought and paid for. The only thing that's our job is to embrace Him as our Lord and Savior, to make Him our God, and then He will teach us. He will grow us. He will help us overcome addictions and sin habits. He'll give us strength. But today, there must be a surrendering of our heart to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, or you've been away from God and you want to come home, you've been separated, you say, well, you know, life just happened and I walked away. I didn't mean to. Jesus is calling you home. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make my life right with the Lord today. I want to pray and ask Jesus to come back into my life. With no one looking around, if that's you, there's a private moment. If this is you, go ahead and lift your hands. Me, you, and heaven are watching. Cross the room. God bless you. Who else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. I need Jesus in my life. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, woman of God. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone? Thank you, sir. God bless you. Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I need his help in my life. God bless you. You can put it back down. Anyone else? About two more seconds. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to serve the Lord. God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. Amen. You can put it down. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Right where you're at, you and God connecting here, right where you stand. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray this prayer out loud. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is that you feel God pulling at your heart, and you're responding to him. The prayer is just a ceiling. It's a period, exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. And we're going to seal it today. So those who lifted your hand, pray this with all of your heart. And the rest of the congregation, pray it out loud as well. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I ask you now to forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Write my name in your book of life. And in front of everyone today, I declare Jesus is my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you forever in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand. I pray right now in Jesus' name. They would sense the peace, the peace that it's okay. It's over. Everything is right. Well, God, I pray against every thought. Oh, you're not going to be good enough. Oh, you're going to mess it up. You did that years ago and you didn't follow through. I rebuke all of that. Lord, let them only hear your love. Lord, may they sense your strength. Holy Spirit, come inside of them in a way that's unprecedented. I pray, Lord God, that tonight, as they lay their head on their pillow to go to sleep, there would be such a joy, for they know that if they died in their sleep, they would be welcomed by you in heaven. 
because you are theirs and they are yours. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for transforming our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.